Wouldn't be where I am without you. And with that said, anybody excited about the word today? Y'all excited to get into this thing? Yeah? Cool. We got a couple people excited. We're going to roll with it. So if you got a Bible, let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be reading in verses 36 through 43. If you don't have a Bible, it's cool. It'll be on the screen behind you. It says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. Y'all say that with me. He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is in the end of the world, and the, the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered together and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and they which do iniquity. And they shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so we're taking some time to pray. God, we're so thankful to be in your presence today. We feel you here even now, and we know that you're just beginning to do what you want to do in this place. And so, God, we invite you in to have your way in everything that we are and everything that we do and every word that is said and every response that is given. God, we want you to have your way in this place. God, let us be closer to you after this word is preached than we were when we first began. And we're going to give you all praise and all glory and all honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So in the text that I just read, we have the rare opportunity to see Jesus actually explain the text. And so a couple verses before, Jesus is teaching to the people of this time, and he's telling them about a different parable. And so basically at this time when we find it, Jesus is in the room with his disciples, and they walk up to him and they say, hey, Jesus, tell us what you were talking about over there. And so earlier in this kingdom, he gives this parable and he's, he brings up the phrase that the kingdom of heaven is likened. And I, I want to talk to you about that for a little bit. I want to dive into that. Jesus mentions that the kingdom of heaven is likened. He's using an agricultural metaphor to take something that we wouldn't be able to understand and to bring it down to our level to where we can understand it. Because see, Jesus knew the crowd of people that he was talking to. He knew the, the time that he was talking to. He knew the society that he was teaching to. He knew that they understood agricultural references. He knew that they were an agricultural society and the fact that they grew a crop. Just about everybody in this time grew something. And so this was a society where there wasn't really paper money. There wasn't coin money readily available to everyone. And so they grew crops. And what they did with their crops was this was their main form of currency. And so if I grew corn and somebody else grew rice and I needed some rice, I would go to them with my corn and say, hey, I'll give you all of this corn for all of your rice. And they say, all right, deal. Got a deal. Here's your rice. And so this was how they got what they needed. This was their main form of currency. And so they were a bartering society. And so Jesus understood this. And because of the way that this society functioned, they understood the value of a crop. They understood what a crop meant to them. And not only the value of a crop, but they understood the value of a good crop. And so when we're talking about this metaphor of growing crops and planting and, and harvesting, when we talk about growing things, we're looking at the very economic value of an entire society. And so it's deeper than just growing corn. It's deeper than just growing rice. It's deeper than just what you put into the ground. We're looking at economic value of an entire society. And so these people were based off of the principle of sowing and reaping. Y'all say that, sowing and reaping. 
sowing and reaping, seed time and harvest time. To them, it was more than just money because if they didn't maintain a good system or a good cycle of sowing and reaping, it wasn't that you didn't have food to eat, but it was you had nothing to trade with. You had nothing to barter. You had nothing to go and get what you needed. And so it's deeper than just money. It's deeper than just growing your crop. If you didn't maintain a sufficient cycle of sowing and reaping and seed time and harvest, it affected everything in your house. It affected everything in your family. And so I want to take a step back and help us understand this idea of sowing and reaping and, and seed time and harvest time, because a lot is said about, you know, the harvest in the Bible and a lot is said about this whole principle in the Bible. And people don't really shout about the seed time, but we all get excited about harvest. And I want to help us understand that a little bit better. You see, reaping is hard work. Reaping is hard work. Sowing, sowing a seed, you ask any farmer, they tell you it, it takes a while to get the ground ready to go out and to put the seed in the ground and then wait for it to come up. Sowing is hard work, but reaping is just as much work. Harvest is a tough job. And if you ask any farmer, they tell you one of the most difficult times of their season is harvest because it's so much work. The blessing is just as much work as the prayer that it takes to get it. And I, need to help, I want to help you understand that today because it takes just as much work to keep the blessing that it does to get the blessing. And this is where a lot of us mess up because we don't understand the cost of being blessed. We don't understand the cost of harvest. Because once we see the harvest, we sit back with our arms folded like the work's all done. And this is why it's possible for God to pour you out a blessing that you don't have the work ethic enough to receive. This is why it's possible for God to pour you out a blessing that you don't have the character enough to receive. He can pour you out an opportunity that you don't have the character or the personality enough to receive. And so if you notice the screen, sowing and reaping, it's really working and working. Sowing and reaping is really working and working. But this very system sustained an entire society. But it was more than just growing corn. It was more than just growing rice. It's more than just growing grains. It's about the strength of the crop. Because the strength of the crop controlled the net worth of the holder. I want you to catch that. The strength of the crop controlled the net worth of the holder. And so if the crop wasn't good, the value of the holder diminished. Y'all with me? If the crop wasn't good, the value of the holder diminished. And so the text is talking about more than just growing crops. The text is talking about value. Y'all with me? Good. So Matthew 13, 24, and, and I'm going to put this in a different way. You know, hopefully we can understand this a little bit better. But it says a certain man sowed good seed into his field. I want you to catch that. A certain man sowed good seed into his field. And while men slept, the enemy came and planted tear amongst the wheat. You see, the enemy knew the integrity of the seed. He knew that if he didn't do something, that the seed that was planted in the ground would grow up and increase the value of the kingdom. And so while men slept, the enemy came and planted tear among the wheat. Now I want you to catch this, because the tear among the wheat goes to show you the limitations of the enemy. The tear amongst the wheat shows you the limitations of the enemy. He knew that he couldn't destroy the integrity of the wheat. All he could do was plant tear among the wheat, but he couldn't stop the wheat from being wheat. He couldn't stop the wheat from being wheat. And it makes me want to say, he that began a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Because we're not counting on the wind. We're not counting on the rain. We're not counting on circumstances. We're not counting on situations. Our hope is in the integrity of the seed. 
Our hope is in the integrity of the seed. You see, the coming of the wicked one, like we read in, in the very beginning, the coming of the wicked one was not to fight the wheat. It's not to fight the wheat because he realized that he could never stop the wheat from being wheat. No matter what he did, no matter what he threw, he could never stop the wheat from being wheat. The only thing he could do was plant imposters among the wheat because he couldn't ever stop the wheat from being wheat. I'm going to say it again because I want you to catch that. The only thing that the enemy could do was plant imposters among the wheat because he could never stop the wheat from being wheat. And if you heard what I just said, you'd have a little extra dance because what I just told you was that no weapon formed against you is going to be able to prosper. And that every tongue that rises up against you, God will condemn. If you are his in his hand, you'll be his in the ground. If you are his when you're sick, you'll be his when you're whole. If you were his when you went into the ground, you'll be his when you come out of the ground. If you were his in the valley, you'll be his on the mountain. Look at your neighbor. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm still wheat. I'm still wheat. I'm still wheat. If I'm broke, I'm broke wheat. If I'm sick, I'm sick wheat. If I'm rich, I'm rich wheat. If I'm whole, I'm whole wheat. You'll catch that when you get home. But we're God's children. Put whatever you want around us, and we're still going to be God's children. So if the enemy can't stop me from being weak, then why did he come? If he couldn't destroy my purpose, if he couldn't rob me of my destiny, why did he come? You see, he came to devalue the harvest. The tear that he planted among the wheat was to devalue the harvest. The tear in the field was never meant to kill the wheat. Now, what the tear in the field does is it robs the wheat of nutrients that could have fueled the wheat to be stronger, that could have fueled the wheat to be mightier, that could have fueled the wheat to be more than what it was, more rich, more productive. It, could, it robs it of nutrients that it could have used to be more anointed, more blessed, more favored. And so while men slept, the enemy came and planted tear amongst the wheat. And I want you to catch this. Wheat and crops like, them, like it, they have no value to themselves. Think about that. Whenever wheat is planted in the ground, it has no value to itself. The only thing that it has value to is the owner and the one who planted it. Those are the only things that have wheat that have something to gain from the wheat being what it is. So the enemy that came to plant the tear among the wheat is actually not even an enemy of the wheat at all. It's the enemy of the owner. And so essentially, the wheat is caught up in a struggle between the enemy and the owner. And what they're fighting over is the integrity of the seed. This is why the battle is not yours. This is why the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. And you've been standing there with your fist up, and you've been fighting, and you've been wrestling, and you've been fighting, talking about how the devil is attacking you. The devil's not attacking you. He's not attacking you. He's using you and your life to attack God. This is why the battle is the Lord's. And I'm, I'm 22. I'm going to be 23 here in a couple weeks, but I'm not too old to remember hymnals. And whenever we were growing up, we had songbooks, and they would grab the songbook and say, turn to whatever page, and we would sing whatever song that was. And there was a song in there that said, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord a new song. 
For he has done marvelous things, he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm has gotten him the victory. And I thought to myself one day, wow, has gotten him the victory. It's not our victory because it's not our fight. And for too long, we've been walking around waging war and fighting battles that were never meant for us to fight. We walk around carrying weights that were never meant for us to carry. And I'm here to tell somebody today to lay your weapons down because the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Now, I want to give you this. Ephesians 1 and 16. Paul says, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of his glory and the inheritance of the saints. Paul says, I want your eyes to open up to the understanding. He said, I want you to open up and see what God had in mind when he planted you. Paul wanted you to realize, he wanted them to realize that the intention of Jesus, that he, when he planted you, he wanted you to see what Jesus was thinking when he formed, thought of, created, and decided your purpose and planted you here on earth. Because no one plants a field without intention. No one plants a field without intention. A weed just grows, but no one plants a field without intention. You don't just plant corn for no reason. Somebody asks you, what do you, you plant corn for? You're saying, well, hey, just thought it might be cool to plant some corn. You plant the corn because you're going to harvest the corn, because that corn is going to bring value to you. And he goes on to say that I want you to know the hope of his calling and the riches of glory and of his inheritance in the saints. Paul wanted us to see, and he wanted them to see what God had to gain from you. And until we understand this, we won't ever understand the fight. It has not for one second been about us personally. It has always been about what God planted inside of you that the enemy never wants to see reach its full potential. You see, in the book of Genesis, God planted a garden and he placed Adam and Eve there. And then the enemy showed up. Jesus went through this whole process of planting the garden. Then he created Adam and he created Eve. And then the enemy showed up. The enemy showed up because of what God planted in the earth. We didn't see the enemy show up until Adam and Eve were in the garden. And so whenever you see the enemy come, you know there's value. Because the very fact that the enemy is attacking you like he attacked you is a sign that you have value. In fact, the greater the attack, the greater the value. God wants to reveal value to some people in this place. There are some people that are feeling hopeless. There are some people that are feeling lost. And God wants to take you higher. He wants you to see things from his perspective and see the value that he has in you. But God sent me here this morning and tell you that you're caught up in a struggle between the enemy and the owner. And they're fighting over the integrity of the seed. Job 1 and 6 through 12 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them also. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered and said to the Lord, from going to and from the earth, from walking up and down it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, 
and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all power hath all that he hath is in thy power, and only upon him put forth not thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So here what we just read is the beginning of Job's life being affected by this struggle. This was the beginning of them testing the integrity of Job's seed. And so Satan basically says, hey, Jesus, if you remove that hedge from around Job's life, I'll make him curse you to your face. He only serves you when things are going right. If you let me start messing with all his stuff, you couldn't get a single praise out of Job. Just remove that hedge from around his life. And Jesus, being the champ that he is, he says, oh, really? Well, let me show you. So he snatches up the hedge, and all of a sudden, Job's world starts to fall apart. He loses his house. He loses his family. He loses his animals. He loses his crops. His friends walked away. He lost his influence. But I want you to tell this. One thing that Job never lost was his integrity. And there's some people here today that have been through the valley. You've lost a lot. I don't care what you lose. You hold on to your integrity. You hold on to who God created you to be. You hold on to your values because you may suffer, but you hold on to it. You may cry, but you hold on to it. You might go without sometimes, but you hold on to it. Your friends may turn around and walk away, but you hold on to it. Your your family may turn around and deceive you, but you hold on to it. You might be sick in your body, but you hold on to it. You might be well in your body, but you hold on to it. You might struggle in your finances, but you hold on to it. Whatever you do, hold on to your integrity. Because as long as you hold on to your integrity, when the storm's over, you're going to rise again. And some of us have fought the enemy our entire lives. And we've been attacked on our entire life. And we thought that the entire time while the enemy was attacking us is we thought that we didn't have value. But now we're starting to see that it's the exact opposite. I'm starting to see and I'm starting to understand that's because I do have value. And so the enemy came to devalue us. He tries to devalue us by the environment that he puts you in, by the tear in the field that he plants around you. He tries to devalue you by the things that you have no control over. The friends that walked away. The family that you weren't born into. The finances you never got. The education you never got. Your family situation that he put you in. He tries to devalue you by the things that he plants around you. He wants to convince you that it's because you don't have value that you're in the situation that you're in. And it's the exact opposite. It's because you do have value. It's because of the value of your soul that you've been attacked in your flesh. It's because of the value of your soul that you've been attacked in your finances. It's because of the value of your soul that you've been attacked in your mind. And so Job was one by one stripped away of just about everything in his life except for his soul. Catch that. He was stripped everything in his life except for his soul. So God removed the hedge from around everything in his life except for his soul. And so in every situation that Job went through, he should have been saying, God, I thank you that you've got a hedge around my soul. God's removed the hedge from around some things in your life today. He's letting the devil test the integrity of the seed that he put in you in your life today. And he's taking the hedge from around some things and you feel like you're being attacked. And you feel like that the devil is coming against you. But in every situation that you go through, be sure to be thankful that God didn't remove the hedge from around your soul. Because you're still here. You're still standing. There's breath in your lungs. And you're still fighting another day. Because I want you to catch this. It's every area that you've been protected. It's only because someone stood guard. 
in every area that you've been protected, it's only because someone stood guard. And so we're in a daily struggle, daily struggle, fighting the enemy. And all we have to do is what Ephesians 6, 13 through 14 says. It says, having all to do, having done all to do to stand, stand therefore. And so we're in the middle of this huge fight. And Jesus says, having all to do to stand, stand therefore. Because I can't control what my circumstances are. I can't control what my situation is. I can't control the way that life goes. I can't control the way that anybody else treats me. All I have to do is stand. Now, here's where we run into the problem, and this is where the, the text shifts. We all know that the enemy came and planted terror amongst the wheat while men slept. Now, when the men woke up, this is, where, this is where it gets real. The men woke up, and they looked out in the field, and they said, hmm, that's terror in the field. That ain't supposed to be there. And so the wheat and the tear grow up together. I want you to catch that. The wheat and the tear grow up together. And this is what confuses people because we'll walk out into the field thinking that the harvest is ready and we don't recognize it because of the tear in the field. The harvest will never look like we imagined it. We think the harvest is all clean with no problems and no situations to overcome. We think the harvest happens on mountaintops and sometimes it does. But given the right situation, God will give you harvest even in the midst of a valley. And so by the time that the wheat comes up, the tear comes up with it. And we'll look around and we'll say, well, God, the harvest doesn't feel like I thought it would. And we won't recognize our season because of our situation. Which causes us not to maximize our season because we're distracted by our circumstances. We won't recognize our season because of our situation. And that'll cause us not to maximize our season because we're distracted by our circumstances. And so by the time that the wheat comes up and it grows up, the tear comes up with it. And the first thing that we think when we see the tear growing up is that we got to do something. That's all of our first instincts when we see problems. If I see a problem, I got to do something. Everybody, we're, we're people. That's how we're wired. We think that we have to fix problems. And so by the time that the tear comes up, we're thinking we got to do something. So that's what these men thought. They said, well, we got to go out there. We got to do something. And so they said to themselves, hmm, how about we go out there and we just pull up the tear? But in a time where there's no chemicals and there's no weed killers, the only way to get rid of the tear was to pull it up. Now, the problem with that is when you pull up the tear, you also pull up the wheat. Because if you disrupt the tear, you'll destroy the wheat. And I want you to catch this. If you fix what's broken, you're going to mess up what's right. Because you may not see it right now, but what's broken is working for you. I want you to catch that. If you fix what's broken, you're going to mess up what's right. Because it may not seem visible and it may not seem evident to us, but what's broken is working for us. You are not nearly as threatened by the tear in the field as you would be by trying to fix everything yourself. So every time you try to fix your own situation, we make it worse. Every time I try to fix my own problems, every time I try to fix my own life, I make it worse. And so they go to the master and they said, hey, what do you want us to do about this tear in the field? This is God's answer. He said, leave it alone. Leave it alone. And so some of us walked in the door today broken. Some of us walked in the door today hurting, saying, God, I'm at the end of myself. I'm at the end of my rope. I've got all of these problems, and you got to tell me what to do. I need to know how to fix it. I need to know what to do. Here's your word. 
Leave it alone. Leave it alone. What God is doing by saying leave it alone is he's relieving you of the responsibility to have to fix everything yourself. He said, I don't want you to have to carry that weight. I don't want you to have to carry that burden to fix everything yourself. So leave it alone. Because in our pursuit to fix what's broken, we'll end up damaging what we're trying to save while we go after what we're trying to kill. And so God said, leave it alone. And I know that doesn't make sense. You say, well, I got all these issues. I have all these problems. I got my kids cutting up. I got my family cutting up. I got to do something. God said, leave it alone. Leave it alone. And the advice of the master to leave it alone is because he knew something that we all have to know. And until we understand this, we'll never fully have peace and we'll never fully have joy in our life. The advice advice of the master to leave it alone is because he knew something that we didn't. The master advises them to leave it alone is because he knew that nothing that the enemy planted around the wheat could destroy it. Nothing that the enemy planted around the wheat could destroy it. And so I want you to catch this. Nothing that the enemy has planted in your life can destroy what God has planted in your life. Nothing that the enemy planted in your life can destroy what God planted in your life. The reason that God said leave it alone is because it doesn't matter. The reason that God said leave it alone is because it doesn't matter. In fact, the only person making a big deal out of it is us. We're the ones trying to fix our entire life. We're the ones trying to fix our problems. And we try to change our circumstances when God said leave it alone. He said leave it alone. And so why did God say leave it alone? Whenever I'm in the midst of all these problems, whenever I'm in the midst of the storm, whenever I'm in the midst of my circumstances, why did God say leave it alone? Why is he here today saying leave it alone? The reason that he said to leave it alone is because he has so much confidence in the seed that he planted in you that he knew it wouldn't matter. He has so much confidence in the seed that he put inside in each and every one of us that he knew it wouldn't matter. So he said, leave it alone. And I'm coming to a close if you'll stand. He said, leave it alone. And God said, don't you think I considered this when I planted you? Don't you think that I knew I had an enemy whenever I planted you? And I knew that he would come at you. And I knew he would plant circumstances and situations in your life that you couldn't control. Don't you think I considered that when I planted you? And we'll sit back and wonder, well, why does bad stuff happen to good people? I was a campus minister for a long time, and I've heard that question a lot. Why does bad stuff happen to good people? Let me ask you this. How else would God show the enemy that his weapon didn't work? How else would God show the enemy that his weapon didn't work? If he stopped them from using the weapon in the first place, the enemy would have always thought, if I could have just got to him, if I could have touched his life, if I could have touched his family, if I could have touched his marriage, if I could have touched his finances, it would have worked. But when the enemy uses his weapon, 
and you're still standing. When the enemy gives it his best shot and you still bring forth fruit, you have a right to give God a praise. Because see, God had to show the enemy, God had to show the enemy that what I put inside in each and every one of you was so strong that when it's all said and done, no problem, no circumstance, no family drama, no situation, no betrayal, no sickness, no struggle, no whip, no cross, no grave, and not even death would matter. God had to show you that it wouldn't matter. And so the advice to leave it alone is because it doesn't matter. The integrity of the seed is greater than the tear in the field. The integrity of the seed that God put inside of you is greater than any problem, than any situation, than any circumstance that you will ever walk through in life. And so when times get tough, we trust in the integrity of the seed. When we don't know where to go, we trust in the integrity of the seed. And I want you to take a second and realize what you're doing. You're standing. After all the attacks of the enemy. After everything he tried to throw at you. After every circumstance that he put you through. You're standing. It's because the integrity of the seed is greater than the tear of the field. And I want to end a little bit different today. And so I want you to grab the person, whoever is next to you, grab their hand. I want us to come all down to the front. I know this is different, but bear with me. We're going to see a demonstration of God's power in this place today. Pack it on in. Y'all come up close. I want us all to realize in this place today that the integrity of the seed is still alive. Regardless of whatever tear, regardless of whatever problem that's planted around your life, the integrity of the seed is still alive. And the very fact that you're standing here is proof. The devil wanted nothing more than for you to be dead and in a grave right now. But you're standing here. That's because the integrity of the seed is greater than the tear of the field. And in the opening verses that we read, God said, in the end time, I will send forth my angels to gather the tear. And so right now, and God confirmed this in prayer this morning, he said that he's going to have angels standing at the back of the sanctuary, ready to come forth in your life and to gather up every single tear to be burned in this place today. And so if you have a problem, if you have a situation, I'm going to pray over us. And this is what I want you to do. I'm going to pray over us. And after I'm done praying, I'm going to scream hallelujah. And if you'll scream hallelujah, God is going to send forth his angels. And if our ministry team will help us to come up front, you're going to have these ministries be able to lay hands on you. And God is going to send forth the angels in this place today of the end time to gather forth every tear, every problem, every circumstance, and every situation that you've been fighting. And so if you lift up your hands, God, we are thankful for your spirit that we feel in this place. God, we know that the integrity of the seed is greater than the tear of the field. And so right now on the authority of the word of God and the power of the name of Jesus, we ask, Lord, that you send forth your angels to gather the tear. God, to gather every circumstance, every situation that may be facing us in this place today. And we ask that it be sent to be burned. Hallelujah!